Good afternoon and welcome to Car Thoughts with David. I'm your host as always, David Calvert. Thank you guys so, so much for taking time out of your day to let us know what this guy has to say. So today, I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be talking about a game that I'm currently playing while I'm playing it. Um, I'm playing Final Fantasy IX right now and I thought, why not talk about it? Kind of taking a page from uh, Treek's uh, book, or should I say uh, journal, <laughs> and talking about a game. Um, you know, I haven't done tons of research on the game. I haven't done, a, you know, all of this a write-up or anything. He's really very thorough. And if you like media of any sort, books, movies, games, um, anything like that, he is definitely an authority um, in that space. Uh, I am a mere layman and uh, just was playing Final Fantasy IX and thought I should talk about this a little bit, you know, because when I played it back in 2000, um, I had a strategy guide. I went through it with a strategy guide because playing Final Fantasy VII kind of taught me, like, there's some things in the game that you're not going to find unless you're looking for them on purpose. So, you know, I kind of had my nose in the book kind of thing and didn't really, you know, invest as much as I probably should have in the story. You know, because the characters looked kind of kiddy, you know, they looked kind of uh, childish. So to think like, oh, wow, you know, there's like um, war and murder and intrigue and genocide and destruction of entire cities and all of this stuff going on to you know in this this story that looks like you know in this game that looks like it's made for children and um you know it's really kind of kind of surprising when you think about how it's you know not really um a story that's really geared towards kids it's more towards adults and um you know this was one of the games that was actually the characters and some of the story was actually directly developed and, and created by Hironobu Sakaguchi which I probably completely butchered his name but he's the creator of the Final Fantasy series and for those of you who don't know because a lot of people I hear it mentioned all the time like why is it called Final Fantasy when there's like a billion of them well, Final Fantasy got its namesake from the fact that it was going to be the last game that Squaresoft made because they were um, getting ready to lose everything, um, you know, because they weren't making any money. This was going to be the last game they made, and then they were going to go out of business. Uh, subsequently, obviously, the game sold really well in Japan. Um, all of its sequels sold really well in Japan. Um, it sold okay in America. If you go back and actually look up information, even on Final Fantasy VI, which is known as Final Fantasy III in Japan, which was considered to be, to a lot of people, like one of the greatest Final Fantasy games ever made, uh, it had really disappointing sales numbers in the United States. Yeah, Squaresoft has even come out and said, or now Square Enix has even come out and said, that the numbers that 
you know, they were trying to make it appeal more to the U.S. audience. This was after they had helped Nintendo make Super Mario RPG, and they were trying to really, really um, increase their U.S. market share, and they just could not do it. So it wasn't until Final Fantasy VII, um, which is probably one of the most easily recognizable turn-based RPGs ever created worldwide, um, came out that when Squaresoft at the time found their greatest commercial success. Um, they followed that up with Final Fantasy VIII, which was my favorite of all time. Um, though seven was the first one I played through all the way, eight was the first, the second one I played through all the way, and then of course I went through and played every single Final Fantasy game, Dragon Quest, um, Tales of Destiny, Grandia, Lunar, Silver Star Story, Lunar Charm Blue, Lunar Trigger, Super Mario RPG, Chrono Cross. Um, if there was a turn-based or action-adventure RPG, anything, I played it. So, um, you know, but at the end of the day, my favorite series was that I always came back to was Final Fantasy. So, Final Fantasy VII had a bad habit of you could get into a part of the game and get completely stuck and have to start over. You'd be pretty much screwed. Um, there were a couple places where I found that I had to kind of restart because I was like, um, guys, I can't get out of this. Or like where I'm stuck right now, where I suddenly went to Wutai and I wasn't ready for that and I'm going to lose all my materia unless I kind of roll back to a previous save game and catch back up to where I was. So we're stuck there. Um, so for 8 and 9, I bought strategy guides. 8, I just got so sucked into the story that even with the strategy guide, I was like focused 100% on every little thing that happened. 9, not so much. I literally um, played through it and was like, meh, okay. Another Final Fantasy, but you know, 7 and 8 are better. And I kept playing 7 or 8 every year. I'd play them once or twice a year. 9 just kind of sat on my shelf. Didn't really do much. It just kind of collected dust. So I was like, okay. So I start playing 7 and 8 again. I get done with 8. I've still got 7 I'm working through. Like I said, I got stuck. So I was like, okay, what's next? So I started thinking about other games. I was like, well, 9 wasn't really that one. It didn't really grab me like the others. But how about we do um, how we do nine? And I went ahead and was like, okay, sure. And um, since I didn't have a strategy guide um, leading me by the nose, so to speak, I ended up looking at the game and the story and what was going on and realized that this game's pretty deep and, and the character development that goes on here, like for instance, not just Zidane and and, uh, and Princess Garnet or Dagger, but Vivi, how he finds the Black Mages and he starts questioning if he's actually real, if he's not been created by some machine, if he's actually alive. Um, Steiner, who is sworn to protect Alexandria, but in traveling with this band of thieves, he comes to realize that he's actually his loyalty 
is uh, divided because he's, you know, he's supposed to be loyal to Alexandria, but in doing, in protecting uh, the princess, he's, you know, got to turn his back on Alexandria or uh, change his ways, and he ends up becoming this great knight who protects her and saves her. Um, you know, and, and grows in ways that he never even thought possible to not just being this mindless uh, knight, but actually being this incredibly uh, powerful warrior who protects the, you know, the princess and fights for the country and fights to end these wars that are being started by the queen. So... You know, and then of course there's this whole overlying battle of good versus evil. Um, Zidane, of course, being on the side of good, even though he was created to be this uh, angel of death type character. And then um, Kuja, who is the you know, main villain, who was created to be the angel of death initially, but he was too war driven and was you know needed to be you know kind of reined in so to speak so Zidane was created and sent to um, Gaia to be this you know replacement for him and uh, through it all you know you see this this conflict building up and you're like wow all this is going on and Zidane and Kuja are such different uh, characters, you know, Zidane actually grew up on Gaia. He grew up around its people. Um, he fell in love. He had all these experiences. Where Kuja is just like all war all the time. You know, that's what I'm about. That's what I was created for. And Kuja knows who Zidane is, but Zidane has no memory and never actually met Kuja, so he has no idea who this crazy person is who's leading the queen around the world, destroying uh, civilizations. So, you know, it's a very interesting and deep tale. And like I said, you know, just seeing it with my uh, much older eyes, my much older mindset, not through a strategy guide where I'm just like, okay, I need to go here and do this, I need to go here and do that, actually seeing it, uh, from the perspective of, you know, wow, this story is actually really intense. I th think I can really appreciate the character design more because I'm like looking at it as, wow, you know, I'm glad they made these characters kind of look a little more childlike in a way because with the themes that they're dealing with, it's really kind of some dark stuff. <laughs> and, you know, you need something to kind of liven up the um the adventure a little bit you know because they're going through some really tough times you know where i'm at right now you know two cities have been completely wiped out um you know the 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 one city was only saved because uh regent sid actually you know surrendered and was like, okay, um, you know, we're not going to let you destroy the entire city. We'll just kind of, you know, 
will surrender and give time to, uh, you know, make preparations to get, you know, Zidane and his party out so that they can, uh, so they can have a chance to, to actually, you know, save the world, so to speak. And it's a fascinating idea of, you know, the strategy that, that Sid had and, um, yeah, that he was actually able to uh, pull that off and and you know help help them on their journey, and it worked. You know, they were able to get to the outer continent, and they're going to try and save the world and stop this stop this crazy war from happening. So we'll see. I mean, it's all going to turn out. I mean, I've played the game before, obviously, but it's just. Uh, it's interesting, like I said, having that chance to go back and, and examine the story again and to see it kind of almost in a way for the first time. Because 7 I was super engrossed in uh, because it wasn't the first time I played through it, so to speak, when I beat it. Um, I had helped my friend Jonathan play through the game, you know, strategize and get through the game, and then I got the game and was like, cool. I'm going to play it now. I know what to do. And I still still found ways to have to start over uh, with 8. Like I said, the story just grabbed me so so tightly that I was like, okay, I have, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to have the strategy guide, but I'm going to still be, you know, um, paying attention to every stitch of this game. And I did. Um... But yeah, nine. Like I said, just having this this opportunity again, it's kind of like, you know, wow. I had no idea this was here type of thing, and I'm like, really shocked and surprised. And I mean, the game it came out in 2000 in America. I don't know if it was before that, and Japan. So it was July in Japan and November in uh, North America. <laughs> And, I mean, it was just, it was a beautiful game for what it was. You know, it was definitely mind-bending how pretty it was for the PlayStation. You know, it was really pushing the limits of what the, uh, the original PlayStation could do. Uh, I mean, it was on four discs, just like seven and eight. And it was just, it was spellbindingly good-looking for its time. Yeah, and then of course, when the PlayStation 2 came out, there was 10, which looked incredible, um, 11, which was online, so it didn't look quite as good on the PlayStation, um, it looked great on PC, um, and then 12, which really kind of pushed the limits of what the PlayStation 2 could do with, uh, with an RPG in a lot of ways. Um, though, of course, there were other games like the Persona series and things like that that also did a fantastic job of showing what the PlayStation 2 was capable of. Um, and really, I honestly, I think there's a, probably a reasonable chance that they still haven't completely cracked the surface of what the PlayStation 2 could do because the processor and everything was so groundbreakingly advanced that there could still be some potential uh, that they just haven't cracked. Um, in the PlayStation because the system went obsolete 
you know, it's it's kind of um, interesting to think about. You know, there might be some stuff they could do. I mean, heck, there are governments that actually, even the United States government, set up, you know, rooms full of PlayStation 2s to process, um, you know, uh, graphics and stuff and process mathematical calculations using the PlayStation 2 because it was so powerful at processing, um, you know, just raw data that it literally had limitless possibilities um yeah the playstation 3 was more powerful but simpler to program for like sony kind of realized that they made the system too difficult to program for and you know since that's kind of what killed the uh well that's one of the things that killed the sega saturn <laughs> And uh, so many, so many other systems as I've studied in um, recently of all these failed video game consoles that I didn't even know ever existed. Um, so many of them failed because they were so insanely difficult. Um, it was, it was just ridiculous that anybody would be able to even make a game that was decent for it because it was just way too hard to make games for and the playstation 2 kind of skirted that line um but eventually people figured it out and once they did i mean they made some incredible incredible games for it um ps4 looks just downright gorgeous i mean probably one of the best looking games on the system is detroit become human right now and i mean that game is just ridiculously gorgeous and you know you would never think like you know a lot of people are like oh pc games are the best and they are you know because they are capable of graphics that you know most home consoles aren't but for a home console um detroit become human is ridiculously amazing looking um you know, I just, when I finally got to see it in 4K for the first time in HDR, I was just blown away at what I was seeing. I mean, I couldn't even fathom it because I was like, this is, you know, ridiculous. There's nothing else out that looks this good. And, um, and granted, games aren't all about graphics and stuff, but, you know, when it comes to, um, games a lot of times you know the Final Fantasy games have been the ones that kind of push the envelope in a lot of ways and so you know because they had such huge huge um, ambitious things that they put into them like I mean the biggest thing that that you know the square team has said about remaking final fantasy 7 is the world map there's no way they can recreate them on like the playstation 4 because the the world was just so huge they just couldn't contain it you know on a playstation uh, on a disc now with the graphics if they made it look as good as say final fantasy 15 with the size of and scope of the world in 7 it'd just be way too big it would cost you know you know hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever just be ridiculous 
trying to make it, so they just said no. And that's kind of why they went with the route of a complete retooling versus just a flat remake. Um, which is fine, you know. There's some stuff playing through Final Fantasy VII again. I'm like, yeah, that really wouldn't fly. People wouldn't buy this game if it had some of these story elements and themes in it uh, that it had back then. There was just some stuff that just wasn't, isn't as acceptable as it used to be. Um, you know, from 20, uh, to 22 years ago. So, um, so yeah. And, uh, that's, that's fine. Um, I am happy that they're making a direct remake of Final Fantasy VIII, though, that's supposed to release this year, because I will definitely have that and play it. Um, and I'll be very happy about that. Um, and then, of course, you know, Final, all the rest of Final Fantasies have been remade graphically enhanced. I mean, the version of Final Fantasy IX I'm playing right now is the remade version that's available on Android. And it's got updated graphics. Um, just the pre-rendered backgrounds are the only thing that isn't upgraded for whatever reason. For some reason, they c couldn't because a lot of the files were lost. They were deleted or the servers crashed or something. So a lot of the files were lost. So they, they couldn't... Um, get everything back so they just redid what they had and then they just took the actual original PlayStation um, pre-rendered backgrounds and threw them in there and then tried to clean them up from what I understand so um, but yeah but it's still a fun game it's still very enjoyable it's still very playable it's still very relevant um, story-wise and, I mean, I've really enjoyed playing 7, 8, and 9. Um, so I've been, I've been playing several RPGs, been playing several, uh, trying to go back through different ones, like Lunar. I've tried, I'm going to have to have a time where I can play that where I have the sound on, because there's so much spoken dialogue in that game. You can't really play Lunar without sound. Um, and, of course, games like... Like, I even went through and I started playing Pokemon again. Um, you know, Pokemon Red on the original Game Boy. And been having a little bit of fun with that, you know. I kind of want to play Pokemon Go Pikachu, which is supposed to be Pokemon Red with, you know, just on the Nintendo Switch. Um, but I just haven't actually gotten to the point of buying that. I'm probably going to wait for it to go down in price. So... Because it's not that huge of a deal for me to play it right now, especially considering I'm playing it on the original Game Boy. But yeah, so it's been uh, it's been fun. Um, just been enjoying kind of reliving some of those old games and um, you know, kind of building building back those memories, redoing some of the. Um, science fiction and fiction and fantasy worlds in my mind and bringing some of that back to the forefront so I'm refreshed and rejuvenated for writing my books and you know it's just been just an interesting adventure and I'm glad that you guys have decided to share this with me if you have um, like I said Final Fantasy 9 is what I'm currently playing what I'm playing literally right now um, 
and just just been having fun with it you know just been enjoying it on um, the Android operating system of course it's on iOS it's on Steam it's on everything because uh, when Final Fantasy remake or when Squaresoft remakes something they release it on everything I mean you can even get all the Dragon Quest games I mean it's ridiculous the amount of games they have online um, on their you know web store so definitely should check them out um, and uh, yeah so with that being said thank you guys so much for listening and uh, as always Garthot's out hey everybody David here do you guys like science fiction if so I just released a novel it's called Hurtling Toward a Home A Story of Hope it's set many hundreds of years in the future when Earth just couldn't support us anymore. We thought we had more time. We didn't take it seriously. We didn't listen to what was being said. And now we have to suddenly build ships and figure out a place to go, but where? So we decide to just go everywhere, to just send ships off in every direction that any scientist has ever said could potentially support human life to give us the best chance of survival we're gonna try every planet so we built ships and loaded supplies and robots on them and shipped them ahead to try and prepare and test the planets uh, to make sure that they were suitable as we were building our fleet to leave for our great exodus from earth this particular story follows one ship the hope and one young man jonathan as he's always dreamed of living this life of adventure from what he's seen from old Earth movies and read in novels. And he longs for that type of, of an adventure. He longs to set foot on a planet. And yet, he is not. But after his 16th birthday, he gets sent off on a secret mission and an adventure that he never thought he would ever be able to live i am so excited to share this journey with you guys and i thank you guys for checking it out again hurtling towards a home a story of hope by david calvert